the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And your money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you. At 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Trying to get you to retirement, hopefully, with a big fat nest egg. CFP Chad Burton tries to manage your nest egg, hopefully from age 60 to 100. It's the kind of the basics of what we're talking about here. On a regular basis, joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Great. How are you? Good. Let's talk about um, some of the financial issues that people run into, one of them being obviously accumulating wealth, one of them being managing wealth, but you have a topic today, fixing bad life insurance policies. Uh, What's a bad life insurance policy, and why don't we just avoid them in the first place? Well, you need life insurance. I mean, you need life insurance and disability insurance because the biggest asset that most people have is their ability to earn money. And so if you die or become disabled, you know, you've got to have something in place for that. Um, so the issue is that the, typically the best way to do that for a younger person is to buy a 20- or 30-year level term policy so that you pay very little, you've got the coverage, and you have more money left over to put into your 401K and your Roth IRA. The idea is that if you continue to invest, you know, 10, 15, 20% of pay during those 10 or during those 20 and 30 years that you have the term insurance, by the end of that term insurance, when you have no more life insurance, you have all these assets built up so you don't need the insurance anymore. Um, the problem is, is that a lot of people go for financial advice to everything from multi-level marketing financial advisors to people that call themselves financial advisors. <laughs> and what they might really be as insurance sales. So any bad life insurance policy, in my opinion, is when somebody, before they've maxed out their 401K, before they've maxed out a Roth IRA, if they've bought a life insurance policy that has a cash value involved in it, it's probably a bad deal for them if they're younger, especially if they're younger. So... There's kind of three scenarios that that I'll go over with you. It's you know what 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 does the average person do to fix the policy? What does a very high income earner do to get the right type of policy? And then if you have estate planning problems, what do you do? So, and the first step is if you you find yourself in that situation, you got to know what you have. And life insurance is interesting because it's one of the only vehicles that you can always take your contributions out first without taxes. So. If you if you look and add up all the premiums that you've paid into one of these cash value life insurance policies, what is that total number versus what your cash value is? 
the, okay. if your cash value is less than the premiums that you've paid, you don't have any tax issues. If your cash value is more than the premiums that you paid, you have a potential tax issue. And then it's taxed kind of like an IRA. If you pull the money out and cash it in before you're 59 and a half, you can actually pay taxes on the gains above your premiums plus a 10% penalty. So you got you got to be careful. And the most important thing is before people go run out and say, oh, they heard somebody on the radio say cash value life insurance is bad, is to, you know, before you replace it or get rid of it, get your term insurance in place first. Get that all dialed in. Make your first premium. Make sure you're insured before you get rid of the other type of policy. Okay, so we're hitting a lot of topics here. Is there anything else that we need to know as far as, like, uh, people who are lower income, they don't need insurance, or they do? People who are higher income, do they need it if they've saved a lot in a nest egg? What are some of the variables in this conversation? Well, so what I was just talking about was just kind of the average person. Now, there are high-income earners out there, Rob, where um, they've got a lot of current income. They're, They're doing well at their job. Uh, they've maxed out their 401k already. They've maxed out their Roth IRA. They've saved at least a couple of years worth of their income in taxable accounts, meaning just a basic brokerage account or mutual fund, ETFs, whatever. They've got everything saved up, and they're kind of looking for a bond alternative because they're young. They've got enough in stocks. They don't really want more risk. And that type of person there are for – for those type of people that are, you know, putting in, have an extra you know, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year to save, and they're looking for different types. There are certain types of indexed life insurance policies that make sense for high-income earners um, only if you're funding them at very high rates, and they look good compared to bonds these days, in my opinion. So, for the high-income earner that's got a terrible type of policy. They want to do more than exploring just getting rid of it and buying term. They want to look at some of these index options for high net worth people. Um, it, it does make sense. And we're talking, you know, maybe 5% of the population, 10% of the population, but, but they're out there listening right now. And then finally, there's those people that you do financial planning for, and they've got a lot of assets. And we look long-term, and they're projected to be worth, you know, well over $5 million, single or well over $10 million married, filing jointly. Um, and over those limits, that's when you have an estate tax problem. That's when the government gets you for having success. Well, they'll take, you know, 40%, 50% of the value of your, your estate over those numbers just because you were successful. That's the inheritance or the death tax that's out there. Uh, it's called a success tax. And they think that it's time for you to redistribute your wealth and how the government wants to take your money and, and basically use it. So one of the things that those people might consider is – not replacing their cash value insurance with term insurance and not buying a high-funded bond alternative type of a policy, but actually setting up a separate trust called an ILIC, an Irrevocable Life Insurance Trust. Okay. And you can either transfer the policy into it or buy a new one, and um, you, you do it so it makes sense. It's very You're not trying to build a cash value. You're trying to get long-term insurance that goes to your kids totally tax-free so that they – can use the money to replace the estate taxes when you die. And it can work out very well, again, for only for the estate planning type of person. Now, when you do that, if you're going to transfer an existing policy that you have because you know you're wealthy into a trust, you've got to be very careful. Several tax issues that are involved, uh, there's gift tax, there's income taxes when you, when you change the ownership. So you've got to look at the policy and get a, 
an opinion from somebody that's not trying to earn the commission on the insurance to say, should I transfer the policy in? Should I buy a new one? Should um, I gift it in? And then there's a three-year period that it still will be in your estate. So there's a lot of things to consider. Um, the average person, though, buy term and invest the difference. Super high-income earners looking for bond alternatives. There, there are types of high-funded index products that are out there that I like, couple. And then for the estate planning type of a person where you're trying to deal with that success tax when you die, you got to do the insurance and a trust. So you got to know kind of where you lie. Thanks very much. Anything else that we need to know, or is that about it? I think that'll do it for life insurance today. Okay. We had life insurance pretty hardcore there. I will put this up on the web a little bit later today at my podcast. You can find it at robblack.com. You can find out more about Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. There's blogs and downloadables there that you can take a look at to you know, start getting some insight into financial planning matters. You can find it, again, at newfocusfinancial.com. He and I do seminars together around the Bay on a regular basis. You can find more information about that, again, at newfocusfinancial.com. Life insurance is pretty important stuff. Bad life insurance stinks because it gives the whole industry kind of a black eye. And then that kind of pushes you to like, well, I don't necessarily think I trust this, and I'm going to go a different direction. And that's sad because that ultimately hurts people. You can find out more about Chad at newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black. You can find me at robblack.com. KDOW traffic. I'm all about this next idea. Amazon's chief technology officer, which Amazon has this culture now of innovating pretty darn well. He mentioned recently at a conference that he wants to be able to go to the gym at a hotel and still get your favorite playlist, TV series, magazine subscriptions, right on that treadmill's interface. Amazon CTO, a guy named Werner Vogels. He wants all your content to sit in the cloud. He also wants almost all that content to be stored on Amazon's cloud. It's cloud player app for music can wirelessly connect to your car stereo for easy streaming. Amazon's new Fire smartphones also comes with free unlimited cloud storage for all of its users' photos, so you don't have to have your device on hand to look through them. It's kind of nice, right? You see where we're going. Let's talk a little real estate now with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. He's done a refi for me, a refi or two, and an original mortgage or two for me. So he's my go-to guy when it comes to lending. Let's talk a little portfolio lending, Mr. Mendez. What's the word portfolio lending mean? Like, what, what's the concept here? 
A portfolio lender is basically a lender that's going to lend you a mortgage. Okay. And then you money, and they're going to keep it on their books. They're probably not going to sell it to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Okay. But what it also allows them to do is kind of go out of the box uh, and give you different kind of guidelines um, that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac won't allow. The downside is, is that they're limited on the products that, that they offer you. They're going to be a little bit more risky, like usually an arm, and they sometimes can have prepayment penalties on it. But it, 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 I think portfolio lenders have a great place in the market. They're picking up the slack that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are, um, that, that they can't handle. Um, and it's a necessity, and I think it is leading towards the privatization of mortgages, and I think that it's kind of, you know, they're feeling it out, and I think there are, are ways for lenders to make money this way and help the society in the same uh, fashion. Uh, but there are so many different kinds of portfolio products and, and guidelines that are different than Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. They do higher uh, calculations on asset depletions, condos that aren't warrantable, foreign nationals, pledged assets. Pledged assets are really interesting. You can actually have assets in your bank, move them to the bank that you're going to get the money from, and they count that towards your down payment, but you don't actually have to spend the money. Okay. That's called pledged assets. So you can put 20% down, but only put really 10% down and put the 10% in their bank. Um, you do self-employed for less than two years, high debt ratios, uh, recently listed properties. I mean, there's a long, long list. Uh, of reasons why portfolio lenders work in the industry right now. Now, portfolio lending, uh, one of the things that you brought up is that they kind of pick up slack that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can't cover. In the Bay Area, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac typically can't cover necessarily um, the jumbo homes. I mean, there's some really expensive homes here that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac just say, you know what, that's not our cup of tea. Right, a jumbo loan is essentially a uh, portfolio loan. Okay. It, it's an investor that's that have set their guidelines, typically close to what Fannie Mae Freddie Mac um, is doing, and that we're not too far off of what Fannie and Freddie are doing. Okay. When we're in portfolio or jumbo, um, we're just looking at different ways to loan people the money at these different for these different scenarios, and that's where they really pick up the slack. Now, what else do we need to know about portfolio lending? And do we even need to know, or are you just magically going to get It's different than private money. Okay. Um, private money is where you basically don't even show credit. You don't show income. You don't show – well, you do show assets, but you show more of a story, um, and it's more equity-based than it is um, than it is credit-based. But portfolio lending is still going to follow the same kind of guidelines where you need a good credit score. You need to have income. You still have to qualify under the ratios. Uh, that they offer, but you, you, when going into a type of loan like this, you have to understand that you're, you're, they're, they're putting you in a cycle. They're, okay. they're putting you in a cycle, just like a bad credit kind of cycle, where you're buying a car and you go back and you buy another car and, you, and you're always at the higher interest rate. You're just at a different kind of program. And some of the products that they offer are actually lower rates than you can get through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but again, they're riskier. So it's not for everybody. It's interesting because... I had a conversation recently at one of my events where someone's like, I want to buy a rental property for retirement. I'm like, okay, what I need to explain to you is that that's riskier than buying a real estate investment trust. I would rather you look at a REIT that's publicly traded, like an Avalon Bay, and then you're buying rental properties in San Francisco. Right. And Free and clear. A uh, hundred shares is a hundred shares. A lot of investors, now that person may buy one and eventually end up with ten. Um, there's some rules that say you, you can't buy more than ten properties on your credit. But some portfolio lenders allow that. So it is a tool that investors use as well. It's interesting to note because uh, I had to convince the guy that having a retirement property is a risk in mm-hmm. retirement. 
if you lose the, uh, the tenant, if rates go up in the next 10 years, which I'm guessing mortgage rates go up in the next 10 years, then the, value, right, then the valuation of what someone's going to be able to afford is probably less because we're more how much can we afford centric than we are interest rate centric. Um, and the guy just looked at me with like glass in his eyes. It was kind of sad that he just wanted me to agree. That's because him. most of what he's hearing is that real estate's the end to your real estate problem or your re- retirement problems. It's yeah. the best way and fastest way to get to retirement and make money. You can find Tony Mendez. Thank you. At BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Like I said, he's done numerous loans for me. He gets the job done. It's pretty thorough. It's a process. So know that going in that you want to borrow money these days or refinance money, it's going to cost you some time and effort. So you can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, Don't be shy. So we could talk about things like GDP numbers that come out that are shockingly bad. But keep in mind, those are typically past performance. Um, So there's some pressure on understanding the headlines. And ultimately, what I want you to get is so much of the stuff that is out there is just PR. And you have to kind of like get in with that and feel good with that. Um, I think that's kind of important. So one of the big stories today is tied towards the technology company called Aereo. And the Supreme Court came down and basically took away what was a pretty cool technology for some people. Supreme Court ruled today against Aereo, a streaming service. In favor of TV broadcasters, it was a 6-3 to three decision. The court reversed a lower court decision that had ruled in favor of Aereo, which lets you stream live network TV onto the Internet. So it's kind of a way to get around spending a lot of money on cable, television. The court found that Aereo had violated copyrights owned by TV broadcasters, marketers, and distributors whose programs uh, the company streamed. The ruling appears to be sweeping definitive, determining that Aereo is legal. This will have lasting repercussions on the way content is delivered online. Aereo's technology uses a special high-definition antenna about the size of a thumbnail to pull and broadcast TV from the airwaves. Signals transferred over the internet to your device. Aereo argued that it was legal because the service was no different from a company that rents HD antennas and DVR equipment to customers. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. A signal alert has been issued in Pittsburgh. Email me, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now. Back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Let's bring in the one and the only Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Doing well. 
a little bit better than that GDP number that got thrown up on the screen today. That was pretty ugly, wasn't it? Yeah, what's your take on that? Uh, past performance not indicative of future returns, or...? I mean, it basically says what you know we've thought for a while now is that first quarter GDP not good, first quarter economic growth not good. Um, this isn't a story that's new. I mean, if you looked in the past years, we've seen that uh, first quarter, second quarter growth has underperformed expectations. A lot of that is because we've had uh, some kind of weird seasonal pattern where second half growth has outperformed expectations, which has led economists in general to, to think that we're on a uh, new, you know, accelerating of, you know, potential type growth pattern and they keep that type of growth going on to the new year, which only then folds and, and slows down. And that's just what we got uh, in Q1. So much of the bad GDP numbers, like you're saying, is now being tied towards weather. Um, do we carry that forward and like there's a real loss of business or is it pent up and we it comes back well it's it's strange so before this gdp print i was always in the camp that weather was way overplayed that there's nothing in the in the data that suggested weather and you could look at a couple things and one of the biggest ones was that the personal savings rate declined in q1 in q1 so if there was pent-up demand why did you know, consumers spend more than they saved. You know, you would expect the opposite to happen. Uh, the latest data now shows a small, and I mean small by a, you know, a tenth of a percent increase in the savings rate in Q1, uh, namely because we didn't spend as much uh, in the first quarter as we had assumed we did uh, in estimate number two and in the advance estimate. So you could blame weather a little bit more than you could um, before this GDP report was released. Still, you know, if you look at May data, you know, look at April data, you didn't see much growth in consumption, um, especially the last GDP, sorry, the last retail sales report that came out. It was very disappointing. We had, um, you know, a nice car report, and it didn't transfer into a big number of retail sales. And if you adjusted out um, for core retail sales, which loses. Uh, uh, building materials and gas station spending and uh, auto dealers, you were negative, meaning, the, and, and that's what more correlates with uh, consumption good on good spending in the GDP data. So you know, we're not seeing like a big spike up from you know savings that need to be unleashed. You know, it's just more of the same. Is there anything else that we need to hit on this GDP story, or do we just move on? I, I think it's you know. It is what it is, you know, even though it was minus 2.9, we still had a minus 1 point, you know, print before. It's saying the same thing, that economic activities in the first quarter were weaker. Um, you know, everyone's expecting, you know, a real big pickup in the second quarter. And, you know, we're seeing 3% growth, which on the headline looks great, but if you get back down to it, uh, real final sales, which is a much more constant measure of economic activities, is below 2%. You know, we're not at potential. You know, we're seeing some, you know, some volatility from inventories, but, but nothing to suggest that the economy is on a, on a steady, stable, above potential rate. 
Other big stories in the world of economics today, um, I guess yesterday we had the housing numbers coming from Case-Shiller. Do you like the Case-Shiller numbers, or do you like the I don't, NAR numbers? Yeah, well, NAR numbers are terrible. Um, I, I don't particularly like the Case-Shiller numbers that much either. I, I prefer the FHFA data. It's more okay. of a, a larger sample. Um, Case-Shiller only takes from a certain number of cities and tries to aggregate out what uh, – you know, national housing is based on, you know, these urban areas. The FHFA data uses um, all conforming loans, so it's not as good in terms of uh, when you have a lot of subprime or a lot of uh, jumbo loans that aren't prime uh, lending. You know, that, that stuff is kind of filtered away, but it gives you a general idea across the nation um, how prime level uh, homes are doing, and, and, and that's been showing, you know, upward but not as strong as the case shiller data. What are we looking for at this point in time to say everything's okay in the economy? Is it retail numbers? Is it housing numbers? Is it auto numbers? I, I think it's the retail data, you know, the retail okay. sales numbers. I mean, we need a strong consumer. You need to show that the consumer is going to be spending their income, and if you spend their income, maybe it'll get the uh, businesses to start expanding again, and investment will start coming back, and we'll start to see, uh, you know, job growth that we need to see, you know, not this 200,000 level, but, you know, closer to 300,000, some way of of uh, removing some of these discouraged workers that we have in, in the labor force and, and getting everything to move forward at a uh, quicker, you know, and accelerating pace. You know, right now we're not seeing that. We're still seeing, you know, a sluggish consumer. You know, there's a lot of reasons for it. You could still say that there's debt overhang. Um, you can still say that, you know, the consumers that want to, you know, add leverage to their uh, to their portfolio can't do so uh, simply because they don't have access to credit. So, you know, the, the consumer themselves needs to recover and rebound and be, and be the source of economic uh, growth, and, and that's not coming around yet. What else are you looking at right now, Dr. Jeff, that is important for us to maybe start thinking about? Because you're a smart guy. I think that the durable goods report today was was okay. better than what the headline showed. And, you know, I think a lot of people are, are looking at the, you know, the down headlines. But, you know, if you subtract out and just look at business investment, you know, it's starting to come. Uh, if you even filter even further in the report. Um, we're seeing a big increase in uh, unfilled orders, and we've been seeing that for actually the last few years, and, and it doesn't make much sense. I mean, you're having all these businesses take on these massive backloads, and they're not willing or un, unable to, uh, to, to produce out of them. And I don't know if that's because businesses are concerned that these, you know, backlog back orders are going to be canceled at some point so they don't want to be stuck with excess inventory or if they're just you know worried about expanding their production facilities in order to to be able to produce out of this backlog but eventually that's got to come down and if it comes down through shipping you know that, that means greater production that would be you know a tremendous boost to economic growth and, and it's there like you know the, the people have ordered these you know businesses have ordered them you know, it's just that the manufacturers aren't producing them. And I, and I think once we start seeing that come through, it's going to be, uh, you know, a good sign for economic growth. Thanks very much. That's Dr. Jeff Rosen with Briefing.com. He's the chief economist. Briefing.com provides independent live market analysis of the United States and international equity markets. 
I say give it a try. Um, there's multiple levels of service. Uh, the professional is awesome. It is one of the first go-to areas that CFP Chad Burton and myself utilize. Um, the information has been around for a long time, and the information has been trusted for a long time, and that's important. Um, it is not... How do I want to say this? I think there's some financial media sites that are fluffy and let anyone work there, but Briefing clearly wants professionals only in their research department. So Dr. Jeff Rosen, uh, chief economist, he's been around for a long time. And again, consistency of message helps you go very, very far in investing. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Supreme Court blocking the Internet breach of broadcast televisions. Um, I think this is ultimately a very big disaster because the company's toast. There's no plan B. It's a huge loss for consumers. In the long run, perhaps a huge loss for the traditional TV business that wanted to kill Aereo. I think it can chill innovation in the cloud media industry, much the same way that putting Napster out of business largely managed to relegate peer-to-peer media sharing apps to the margin of criminals. There's just something wrong about the judicial branch ruling that new uses for old technologies are illegal, in my opinion. The law allows anyone with a TV antenna to watch broadcast TV for free. The broadcasters sell ads on TV to pay for that, and they make a profit doing so because more and more people are turning away from the TV set in order to watch video on demand and on their phones, on tablets, on laptops. Free broadcast TV is under a threat. It survives mostly because cable companies bundle it with cable channels. Area is one of those devices that's so simple it's brilliant. The company owns thousands of individual little TV antennas which it stores centrally, one for each viewer per the law. Area restricts you to watching within the market you subscribe to as well. For example, a New York City area subscriber can't access the account if they're in Los Angeles. You'd think that TV companies would be cheering for this. It's so simple it's brilliant. And it gets you to watch more TV with more advertising on it. Um... I think it's a big loss. So rather than embracing new tech media and new technology, networks threaten to end free TV altogether. And that's not a win-win situation in any way, shape, or form. CBS and Fox both said they would restrict their broadcast signal to cable providers if they had lost the case. Ironically, this would have made them even more dependent on the business model that was so dysfunctional at Spawn Area in the first place. So make no, no, no mistake about it. Large media companies hate innovation. TV and movie studios also believe that DVRs and VHS cassettes would kill their business. In fact, they enhance them. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station.
Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. New focus on wealth. Trying to create wealth. Trying to manage wealth. Trying to get you towards retirement. That's the goal, right? Hopefully you pay attention here and there. And hopefully get a little bit better. Um, as far as picking stocks. As far as picking mutual funds. I don't think you need to. That's the trick. Is that I think getting wealthy is about doing it slowly. Um, it's about saving big on your dream vacation. It's about taxes. It's about credit and debt. Amex has a card right now that's tied towards fidelity. It's a great card. It's a great card if you pay off your credit every month. No annual fee, 2% goes into your fidelity account. Great way to save. I highly endorse and recommend. Um, And I think you should do it. Anytime that you've got credit card points, I think you should use them. Because the terms change, and they don't typically change for the better. A friend of mine, she had a husband who passed away, and there was tons of United flight miles, because he was a traveling guy for a company, right? And when those miles were accumulated 10 years ago, they were pretty good deal. And then United changes the things here, changes the things there, cuts the dates, cuts the value, increases the number of points needed to fly. So having getting cash might have been a better deal, per se. So I want you to spend less than you, than you earn. I want you to max out your 401k, your 403b, your 457. I want you to save at least 15% of every paycheck. Bad things can happen. And you need to be prepared for that. Funds that hold dividend-paying stocks aren't just a safe harbor in troubled times. I think they're a great long-term play on investing. Vanguard's got a dividend growth fund. Ten-year annualized return is 9.1%. One year, it's 16.6%. The expense ratio is pretty cheap. The yield's 1.8%. It's got a pretty good decade performance. A couple other ones that you might want to look at would be the Commerce Value Fund. Um, Modestly outperformed the S&P 500 over 3, 5, and 10 years, while accumulated a significant lead over most funds in its large value category. It's not always going to compete with the S&P 500, which shows growthy signs at times. Growth evaluations. Uh, the Commerce Value Fund, ticker symbol CFVLX. Average return each year for the last 10 years, 7.9% with a 2.3% dividend yield. So that's going to get up to 10.2%. Your money will double every seven years. That's a pretty good return. There's one called Fidelity Select Wireless Portfolio. Ten-year uh, returns, 10.5%. That's three percentage points above, on average, over the S&P 500. So the portfolio can shift rapidly. Verizon Communications is by far the largest holding. Um, now you can go ahead and buy Verizon if you want, or you can, you know, get a little bit more diversification with Little Telecom, Italia, Orange, BT Group. There's also in the wireless portion of the portfolio, you know, Google. 
So that gets you a lot of growth of wireless services, which, again, I think don't we all kind of see everyone on their phones all the time? So anyway, um, so wireless could be part of an income portfolio. On top, it yields 6%. It's not too shabby, right? One-year return, 20%. 10-year average, 10.5. It's when we get, stop and get greedy that we really mess this up. But if you want to go more traditional income, there's a real estate fund by T. Rowe Price. Uh, 10-year annualized rate of return, 9.9%, yield 2.1. So that gets you up to 13%. 12%, I'm sorry. My math not so good. I'm sorry. Um, but then you're also getting that real estate exposure with real estate investment trusts, uh, which may or may not do well in a rising interest rate environment. You should know that. You know, it's kind of like a full broker advisor predicted action on any stocks mentioned on the show. Anyhow, I'm always doing events. You can find out more about set events at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, here's a weird fund for you. Lazard Global Listed Infrastructure. So it doesn't have a 10-year return. It's got a one-year return that's smoking 26.8%, 2.3% dividend yield. But infrastructure funds invest mostly overseas, and they can diversify your said uh, stream of income, dividends. Uh, they own, in this case, you know, gas utilities on four continents, European airports, toll roads in Italy, Australia, Korea, and the United States, communication systems, U.S. railroads, water supplies, and so on. Infrastructure that you need to make sure that we stick around, you know. So first year, it was open up 18%, up 26% last year, up 14% so far this year. Uh, volatility is above average. So the companies, one of their goals is to look for monopoly-like companies that provide essential services. Again, that's the Lazard Global Listed Infrastructure Open Fund. It's all the broker advisor for taking the action on any stocks mentioned on this show. Ticker symbol on that would be GLFOX. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. I'm here. Talk to you soon. I'm Rob Black. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.